Have you been to the place where the fireweed grows? The caribou roam and the northern lights glow. Come learn from the people who call this place home. This is Denali 360. Welcome to Denali 360. Today, my guest is Vanessa Juzak, who is the director of the chamber of the Denali Borough. Did I do that title right, Vanessa? Uh, title correct, yes. Um, uh, I'll just differentiate my, my job a little bit. I'm the executive director of both the Denali Chamber of Commerce and the Discover Denali Visitor Center, which is kind of a sub-entity of the chamber um, and, and does some similar work <laughs> in, in terms of visibility and, and you know, business growth, but um, also some very different work. You know, the chamber is, is very um, business development and ag advocacy focused um, where, of course, the visitor center is much more information and, and marketing. So, Perfect. Um, I look forward to talking a little bit more about both those entities because both of those are very strong and important jobs, obviously, in the Denali borough. Uh, one thing I kind of love about you as one of uh, my first guests that are born and bred here in the Denali mm -hmm. borough area. I don't know if it's specifically in Healy, but I'll let you speak to that a little bit about growing up here. I think a lot of people that uh, have been our guests on the podcast, are people that uh, come seasonally, fall in love with the mm -hmm. area, end up staying, building families, and so on. But you're actually my first guest that is born and bred in the area. So for our listeners, okay. tell us a little bit about that. Yeah, so um, born and raised, my mom um, had come up to, to visit a friend. <laughs> and uh, he was living here at the time. And so her and a friend took a road trip from Ohio and showed up here and never left. Um, and she spent, um, well, must have been a, a fall or a winter in Kodiak, um, where, where is actually where she met my, my biological father, um, and then ended up coming back that winter and, and kind of being here and staying here. And this was a 19, this would have been 1978. So not a lot here at all. <laughs> um, stayed and uh, met my dad who adopted me a few years later. And um, that was that. My dad had, had come up for some adventure from California um, with, with no real firm plan either. So, you know, that, that kind of typical uh, Alaska story that you hear, uh, not so much anymore, I think, but definitely more in the 70s. Um, so, was yeah, I was grew up in the area. I think that's kind of a fun, mm -hmm. fun piece people don't really know much about. Yeah. So I remember um, until I was about well, once my parents got married, um, we lived in this little cabin that was owned by Steve Jones, which is now the employee kitchen of Tensco. <laughs> and uh, so we lived there. We had a couple neighbors in cabins, and uh, there really was hardly anything in the canyon at that time. I, I remember the, there being the salmon bake, uh, the crow's nest, um, and then the original chalets. And uh, maybe, I'm not sure exactly when Lynx Creek Pizza opened. But uh, there just there wasn't much there at all. And then there was houses. There was people who lived there. Um, and then when I was six, uh, we moved about 12 miles to the other side of Healy. Um, so uh, then the canyon just took off and grew from there. But yeah, so born and raised um, through high school. Um, when I graduated high school, I went up to UAF and I lived in Fairbanks, went to school and lived in Fairbanks for about 10 years um, before we I came back here and um and, you know, growing up here had a lot of a, a great parts and pieces to it. 
Um, but I still was very much that 18 year old who was like, get me the heck out of this small little town. Um, and I'm not coming back, you know? Uh, but I, I did come back every summer. I worked in a, a wide variety of jobs. Um, you know, everything from housekeeping to front desk to reclamation at the coal mine to mini golf. I think about the only job I haven't done in this town is, um, waitressing of some kind. <laughs> um, so, you know, I always came back for summer employment um, for, a, for a long time through college. And then um, I went to school actually for engineering. So ended up in a very different place in life, like so many of us do. Um, and and uh, what kind of initiated the, the conversation of coming back to Healy um, was I was a new mom. I had a, a less than one-year-old and um, I had planned to go back to work and, and realized very quickly that I just wasn't going to be able to do that. <laughs> I wasn't going to be comfortable with that with this tiny baby. Uh, you know, the practicalities of being a mother are very different before you have one in front of you. And then you're like, well, all those things I thought are no longer true. Um, so my husband was working at Fort Knox at the time, and it made a lot of sense um, for him to try and get on at use of belly and, and maybe for us to come here. Um, but that being said, he had to talk me into it. I, I was not a, despite wanting to, to stay home with my child and, and look at things differently, I, I was not thrilled about the idea of coming back to Healy. Um, so we did so under two conditions. Uh, the, the first one being that um, since my freshman year in college, I have been a basketball referee. And that is something that I have absolutely loved from the beginning. And um it is a thing that feeds my soul, strangely, you know, to be out there making mistakes and everybody screaming at you, but it is truly a passion for me. And so the first condition was he would never say a word about how much I drove back and forth um, to, to go ref basketball games throughout the state. And the second condition was that if I was unhappy in a year, we would leave, we would go back to Fairbanks. Nice. Um, but I found that coming back here as a mother um, was a completely different experience, of course, than leaving it as an 18-year-old. And um, very quickly fell into a really great group of ladies who all had kids similar age um, to my son and just built some really great supportive friendships and dived into, um, you know, volunteering and being active in my community and in the school and uh, really quickly realized that, um, for the stage I was in in my life, this was a really great place to be. Ah, oh, beautiful story. So tell me, uh, fond memories from when you grew up here? I mean, I know as an 18-year-old, you were ready to get out, but mm-hmm. you know, a lot of people grow up in cities or they certainly don't grow up in a state like Alaska. Uh, yeah. Give us a little perspective into that. Um, you know, almost all of my memories involve in, in besides, you know, kind of those school ones, I was really active in school and band and student government and playing sports. So those things aside, almost all of my memories involve being outside. Um, And just small things like we had a slough off the Nanana River in our backyard that, you know, me and my best friend would be out there catching frogs and getting covered in slime and, um, you know, teasing my sisters. And so, um, and if we were at her house, she lived down by Old Healy, uh, where the railroad yard is. And so, you know, we'd go explore out there and find old railroad junk in the woods and um, all kinds of stuff. So, I mean, really, I think growing up here and, and you know, I didn't know any different at the time, but I, I look at our world today and, you know, my nieces and nephews and, and just a lot of the cultural shifts that, that we've had. And I had so much freedom outdoors as a child, so much, um, that I think that's really contributed to 
part of the reason that I'm still here <laughs> and um, my love of the outdoors still today. How about memories from motherhood, you know, for with your kids growing up here, mm -hmm. you talked fondly about, you know, raising a family in this area. What makes this area so special to do that, to cultivate a family? I think the ability to develop those relationships that there's a natural tether, I think, due to the size of our community. You know, I have a lot of friends with kids in Fairbanks or Anchorage, and they don't have the same kids in their class the next year. <laughs> you know, they, they, they develop these friendships and then they're pulled apart and they develop new ones and they're pulled apart. And, you know, there's something to be said for that too, a, a change in exposure and um, new ideas and, and people and, uh, you know, just, but I think there's also something to be said for having those connections that are, are long-term and, and life-lasting. Um, you know, I've, I've got just a handful of friends from high school that I don't talk to on a regular basis, but, you know, it's just, you, you pick up the phone or they come into town and we go have a drink and it's, you know, like, like it's always been 25 years later. So um, I, I think there's a, a large component to that. But I also think that um, in today's crazy world, um, it's really great to be in a community that I know everyone's looking out for my kid. Um, I know that if my son goes to work on his four wheeler and doesn't drive responsibly, somebody's going to let me know, <laughs> you know? Um, and, and by the flip side of that, like, you know, sometimes I get reports saying, Hey, I saw, you know, your middle son driving your youngest daughter to the playground today. And he was taking very good care of her and he was going really slow, you know? So you, you don't just hear the negative. You also can, you know, hear the positive and, um, there's been a lot of changes, you know, growing up here, it, it was, a the population wasn't that different, but the demographic really was. Um, when I graduated, there was about 275 kids in our K through 12 school. And now there's about 150, I believe, 130 to 150. So there's been a big demographic shift um, in a lot of ways. I think there's a lot of retirees still here that, you know, whose families have grown up and left. And there's a lot of, um, a lot of people that just don't have children. So the structure of the town has changed. I think there's a lot more in and out than there used to be for sure. Um, but it still has retained a lot of, of those good small town qualities despite that. Raising a family means that you find activities for them to do. And one thing that I thought was really fascinating is when a lot of visitors come to Denali, they come with pets, mm -hmm. whether they come in their RVs or, or their, however they're traveling. A lot of times they come just thinking it's like every other stop. They can bring their dog, that their dog can wander in the park. Mm -hmm. And then they get here and they realize that the rules are different. So describe uh, a business, I believe it's maybe started by your daughter, but it is something, uh, a business that definitely answers a need for guests in town that I don't think a lot of people know about. And it's something I want you to talk about a little bit today. Sure, sure. So, you know, in my, in my capacity at the chamber and the visitor center, um, I get a lot of phone calls saying, hey, we just got here and we just found out we can't take our dog into Denali Park on a hike. Um, and we can't leave it in the car for the seven hours it's going to take us to do that. Or, you know, we just got here and we just found out our hotel doesn't accept pets. Um, and so, you know, the first year I was like, I'm sorry, I don't know what to tell you. I, there, there's, no, there's no option here. Um, and by the second year, I started to just feel guilty at the vast amount of people that I was telling this to. And I was like, well, I got some teenage boys. Um, and so for a couple of years, you know, we'd connect with people randomly. We might, I, I might end up driving my 
I don't know, at the time, 10 year old down to Riley Creek and the people would give us the code to their RV and we'd go in and take out their dogs and their cats, you know, <laughs> hoping we're not going to get bit or whatever. And so we did that for a few years um, before I kind of sat down and had a talk with my boys. I think this is our third year. So at the time they would have been 13 and 11 and said, Hey, do we want to do this? And they both said, heck yeah. Cause they'd, they'd seen some cash coming through at that point. Right. <laughs> so, so we decided to just, just to give it a go. And um, we don't advertise a lot, but it, it's kind of gains traction on its own. And now we have a lot of repeat customers that are local actually. Um, we have one dog that has, this is I think her third summer with us now. And she comes for doggy daycare five days a week and gets worn out and goes and plays. And um, we have uh, a lot of people who either have us watch their dogs when they go on vacation or my oldest will go to their house and take care of their dogs there. Cause he's got his license now, any excuse to drive, he's ready for. Um, and so then my daughter, you know, she's, she's always kind of been tangentially involved. Like if, if they get a hundred bucks, I'd say, okay, each of the boys get 20 and then we put, you know, 40 into the bank account and, and, she, you know, we'd give her $5 because she fed the dogs for those two days and she was tickled pink for her $5. But she's kind of evolved now to our spokesperson. <laughs> um, and the other day we were actually in Ace Hardware and I heard her say, I'll be right back. And I, she goes out the front door and I see her standing there talking to a guy who's got like a little corgi on a leash in the parking lot of three bears. And I come out a minute later and I said, did she give you the spiel? And he says, oh yeah, she did. <laughs> and then I got in the car with her and she lectured me that, that I didn't have any business cards handy because mom, I can hand those out wherever we go, she said. Perfect entrepreneur. <laughs> so my oldest is, has kind of taken over reservations and billing and my middle child does a lot of the dog work now that his older brother has a job and isn't us home as much. And then the youngest is, has started with marketing. So they're all learning some good business skills uh, and making some money to, to do those, those neat, those, uh, those wants that mom and dad sometimes say no to, but now they're earning on their own. Absolutely perfect the way it's evolved. Uh, tell our listeners the name of it, how they can contact oh, yeah. you if it's something that they would like. So it's called Dogs Visit Denali 2, uh, T-O-O. And that's the website also, dogsvisitdenali2.com. And um, email and phone number on the website. And we, ha we have a Facebook page also and an Instagram. So you can even visit or uh, check out the dogs that are visiting and the locals who are here while their parents go on vacation if you're interested in dogs at all. I love that because I know we get a lot of questions on that. So thank you for sharing that. Yeah. The Chamber, I think it's really interesting to hear your role at the Chamber, what the Chamber is like in the borough. Describe to our listeners what Denali's Chamber is like. Oh, I, I feel like it's ever evolving. <laughs> um, you know, when I, when I took over this position, um, it's been about five and a half years, and I, in preparation for like the interview, I thought, well, you know, I don't really know what a chamber does. Um, it, chambers aren't a, an Alaska thing in the same way that they are other places. I have learned in, in most other places, chamber of commerce is a really big deal. <laughs> that's, that's where you go for everything. Um, and so I had to educate myself a little bit on it. And, um, and then when I accepted the position and kind of got into the day-to-day -day stuff, I realized we're not really a chamber of commerce. Well, you know, we're not, we're not at that standard mission. And um, I felt like we were kind of more a visitor center slash an event center. <laughs> um, and so I, I spent a lot of time in that first 
one to two years, really just trying to refocus um, what the organization was about. And um, I think, you know, steered it in a much different direction. And, and, and along the way, I tried a lot of things that, you know, six months later, I'm like, all right, forget that. Like, maybe that's something standardly that was offered by a chamber of commerce, but there's just no demand for it here. So scratch. Um, and so I really kind of had to figure things out as I go. And then, of course, uh, COVID uh, pivoted everything mm -hmm. um, and actually was one of the things that shed the most light on what I, is needed and for my position in terms of the chamber. And so really kind of what I came out of COVID with was a better understanding of how the businesses operate and, and what they need. And what I kind of realized is, th is that advocacy piece is, is really important. Um, even for me, where this is my job, it's hard to pay attention to every bill <laughs> and every uh, resolution and everything that, you know, not even just locally, but on the state and on the national level that can affect businesses here. You know, one example that, that was being approached um, in the U.S. Senate last year was a modification to CDL requirements. And basically anybody driving a passenger van of any kind was going to require a CDL. Well, that's going to kill small businesses here. Well, you know, the, the businesses that already are required to have CDLs have an incredibly hard time finding somebody to, to, to fill all the positions open that they have. So you add on another 40 businesses lo locally that all of a sudden they're, there's a person who's driving five people down the road and now has to have a CDL, you know, incredibly detrimental. So that's something a small business who's so focused on operations in the middle of COVID, you know, 4,000 miles away from DC probably isn't even going to be aware about to contact a representative about. And so I have found that in my job of being a kind of a clearinghouse for information and Hey, this is something that's happening that you need to be aware about or aware of. Um, and pay attention to has been one of the most appreciated factors of my job just having somebody else do that filtering and let them know when there's something that they need to know nice you meet the need for that so thank you for the advocacy for the businesses especially the small businesses that might not get that information funneled to them in the way that they should i know you're very appreciated for your role that you have at the chamber so i think that's worth taking a moment to thank you for that you had the creation of Discover Denali. Is that correct? Yes. So let's talk a little bit about how that came into fruition. Okay. Um, so the Denali Borough's primary revenue source is, is, of course, the overnight accommodation tax. And almost this industry standard across Alaska um, for any municipality that collects a tax like that that is primarily geared toward tourism reinvests a portion of that back into tourism. And we're talking anything from $100,000 to several million. The Denali Borough is the only place that doesn't do that. Wow. And so I started to push a little bit on that. <laughs> you know, like if we as a community are going to rely on one industry, essentially, for 80% of our annual income and our only tax income, then what are we giving back to that industry? And how are we doing it? Out of those discussions with Mayor Walker, um, you know, I realized there was some potential conflict, which I absolutely understand on his part. You know, they give money to the Chamber of Commerce, you know, with the intention of it having 
being having it used for tourism and for marketing and promotion of our travel industry. But then maybe they want to pass an ordinance um, or open a new department or do some other thing that we oppose as a chamber. And all of a sudden, that money they've earmarked for this, well, maybe we're using it to lobby back against them. So there was concerns in that way, which I absolutely understood. And so in further discussions, you know, I asked Mayor Walker, what if we just opened a new entity? And that was solely based on tourism. Would that be something you'd be willing to invest in? And his response was absolutely. And so we actually um, opened the visitor center on paper unofficially in February of 2020. And we're in the process of, you know, the approval from the IRS for nonprofit status and opening bank accounts and getting the website going and COVID hit. And part of that negotiation with Mayor Walker is we actually had a contract that was far enough along in the process. It was being reviewed by lawyers before we were supposed to sign it um, for basically a $50,000 a year contract where they would pay Discover Denali and we would provide visitor services for the Denali borough as a whole. And that dried up in one month's time. (laughs) All that work. Yeah. So we just hit two years uh, with the visitor center. Um, We've gotten by on a variety of CARES money, grant money. Um, You know, we we started everything with a really low buy-in from from the community. Because I realized now I'm asking you to support the chamber with your chamber money or your chamber membership. And I'm also asking you to support the visitor center with a separate membership. And I realized that, you know, to do that, we've got to have some sort of foundation. We've got to, we've got to prove that it's worth it for that. So the first year, you know, dues were $50. That's all we were asking for, to be a member of Discover Denali. Let's get you in the door for a low cost and let's let you see where we can go and how we can develop this. So we, we do get some money from that um, service-based uh, fee, um, depending on what you want in terms of website listings or this or that, it's, uh, we, we upped our rate this year. So it's between hundred and 150 for any business to join. So it's still not a lot of money and we still don't make a lot of revenue that way. Um, that's something that'll have to change if we're going to continue to be successful here and, and maybe not necessarily in the amount, but at least in the volume, we really need to get a lot more of a buy-in. Um, you know, I, I've heard this in, in a lot of ways and, when we were having discussions actually right before COVID hit also about increasing the bed tax um, and adding in that alcohol marijuana tax, there was a lot of discussion on, well, you know, from community members might say, well, I don't want to pay a property tax. So yeah, raise that bed rate, tax them. Um, Or businesses are saying, you know, you can't just rely on us to, to carry your whole community. And, And so there, you know, there's a lot of this divisiveness, but then, even within the tourism community, there's a fair amount of that. You have businesses that say, I want to contribute in every way possible, and I'm going to support you know, the chamber and the visitor center in every way possible um, because of the work you're doing. And, and I believe in that work, and we're going to support it the only way we, we can, which is financially. Um, to a lot of other businesses that say, well, why do I even need to bother? Tourism in Denali's hot. I don't have to do a thing. They come to me. And so breaking that mindset of, it won't always be that way if we're not being proactive. And I, I think the best way to look at this is um, there, there's been studies all over the country of places who spend a lot of money to attract visitors. And when they're successful and they start to wean off that budget, 
Well, there's no longer that ad that pops up on your Facebook feed. There's no longer that commercial. There's no longer that insert in your, your magazine or your newspaper. So guess what, Tahoe? We're going to forget about you, and we're going to start looking over here at the Great Lakes. Visit Michigan, right? Um, and so if you're not that constant reminder in somebody's head, somebody else is. And, um, you know, Travel Alaska and the Alaska Travel Industry Association is fabulous at marketing the state of Alaska as a whole. They're great at that. They, they get us the numbers here. But it's up to the Denali Borough to convince somebody to come here instead of Ketchikan, instead of Homer, instead of, um, I don't know, Bessel, you know? So if we want to be um, a focus, we've got to put ourselves out there. And the only way to do that is compete against our in-state marketers um, that are all doing that because they all have contract with their city or their municipality or their, their borough and they're getting that money and they're doing so. So, you know, there's a lot of education that is involved in my job. Um, but uh, I, I think at the end of the day, we have to look at ourselves as a tourism community and say, what's important to us? Is it just getting the people in the door and making their money and letting them leave? Or is it, highlighting that a the Denali is more than a national park we always have been that part gets lost a lot um and b um do we have pride in how we present ourselves as a tourism destination or are we just perfectly fine with cardboard signs on the side of the road <laughs> and you know um uh places springing up in residential neighborhoods and, you know, just all those things that come with it, with a growing uh, place that's so seasonal. But uh, I think that we're only two years in, we've made a lot of gains and um, I think we've, we've got a long way to go, but I think we're on the right path. Congratulations. A great endeavor. And I certainly see more about Discover Denali in the last couple of years. And it's very exciting to see. I think whenever you launch a new project, it's, fun to watch it grow and develop and, and certainly initially come to fruition, but then watch where it goes and how you can navigate that. I know I lived in Anchorage for about five years. I taught at the university and I was so surprised having been in Denali for so long that everybody went south in the state. And I'd say, well, why don't you come to Denali for the summer or come visit, you know, the park or, but a lot of times they'd either mm -hmm. go south for the water or they didn't really yeah. know how spectacular Denali was. What I got to see was the other side. By the time they came to visit, they would say, how come I never came here before? I just never knew, <laughs> you know, and whether mm -hmm. that was the expanse of what we have, the opportunities that are here, what all they could do when they visit. So talk a little bit about when somebody comes to visit Denali, there is such a mass of opportunities for them to choose from, depending on their passion. Tell our listeners a little bit about some of the opportunities we have in the borough. Yeah, so, you know, in our discussion with um, the Denali Borough on, on opening this visitor center, one of the things we talked about was the need to highlight the entire borough and not just the area immediately surrounding Denali National Park. Because you're right, depending on where you go and what time of year you go there, um, you're going to have very different experiences. And so, for example, um, the north end of our borough gets very little tourism, um, that especially that is overnight tourism. They have buses, you know, that come through and stop at Tech, Tech Campground and do some things like that. But 
they're much more removed. And so for a lot of times, if you have somebody coming from Fairbanks or Anchorage who, who wants to RV, um, I recommend they go to Anderson or they go up to Tetlanica and do that because it gives them that slower, quieter getaway that they're probably looking for, you know, and they're, they're great places for groups. If you're traveling with a couple families and you're bringing your bikes and your kids or your, your uh, four wheelers, um, then, you know, Anderson and, and that area North are a really great place to do that because uh, that's, that's where me and my friends and our, our kid, when our kids were little and we could force them to come with us, you know, instead of <laughs> begging them, but, you know, we'd go up to, to Anderson for, for two days and campfires and, and bikes and, you know, the shooting range. And, and we, we just spend a few days as, as four or five families just having a really good time. So then of course, you know, Healy, um, as you move south down the, the parks highway, Healy would be next. And Healy's got a wide range of um, accommodations for tourists that are year round, which most people don't realize. If, if you Google Denali Park, Healy doesn't come up. <laughs> so there are really, most people who call have no idea that yes, there is a place to stay, there is a place to eat, there is a grocery store just 12 miles away. Um, and so, you know, really using that educational component piece and trying to build on winter tourism because Fairbanks just had a record winter tourism year for them. Um, Healy's kind of that egg versus chicken phase right now. If you build it, they will come. <laughs> um, but so, you know, somebody's going to take a leap somewhere um, to really get those numbers to increase. But, uh, but also it's a great place for families. You know, we've got the playgrounds and we've got out of Lake um, and we've got some of those non-typical tourism experiences that if, if you do want to come and stay for five days, sometimes it's really nice just to have a day you don't plan anything and, and just go experience what the locals see and, and have a chance to relax. Um, and then I tell people, you know, if you don't have a car and you love being right in the thick of things, then yes, the entrance to Denali Park is for you. <laughs> um, and so I, I really try and tailor my recommendations when somebody calls um, by asking a lot of questions, like, what are you here to do? And how are you getting here? And do you have transportation? Um, you know, Cantwell is an amazing place for people who want to come up in the wintertime to see winter Alaska. There's dog mushers, there's um, cross country skiing, you know, berry picking in the fall, all these different things. So to, to have somebody call and be like, what should I see in Denali? Well, my first question is always, well, why are you coming? I, I can't answer what you should see if I don't know why you're coming. <laughs> And I actually even had a, somebody call the other day and they said, they asked me a bunch of questions about Denali, but then they said, well, what's your favorite place in Alaska? Where in Alaska can I not miss? And I thought, well, shoot, <laughs> you, know, you put me in a bad position here because I know what I love about Alaska, but what if that's not what you love about Alaska? You know, like for me, the mountains, that's half the reason I live here. I, I feel a sense of peace looking at them, but when I, I, I do hiking and backpacking by myself, that's, that's how I reset my mind a lot. So, you know, going up in them where there's nothing but you, a nice little breeze to keep the bugs away and just views in every direction you turn, like that is probably not why somebody who's 82 years old from, you know, uh, Oklahoma is coming to Alaska. So um, it can be really tricky. Like you said, a lot of people love the water and some people just come to see glaciers and whales and um, and Alaska is just too big and too diverse and too amazing to say, well, here's my favorite, <laughs> but, uh, but those are the questions, kind of questions you get on a very regular basis working in the tourism industry. So, 
if you had an ideal timeline, if somebody said to you, I'd like to see Alaska, Mm -hmm. how much time do you think that they should spend here? You know, I think there is something to be said for, I mean, you could do, you could do a very wide range of Alaska in a month and never spend more than three days in the same place. You really could. You could start at the very top and, and work your way down. But I think if you're looking to kind of come and experience Alaska as a local might or um, to do more than just see a place, but actually experience a place, then, you know, I can give yourself an entire summer. Get here in May, leave in September, you know, check your towns off your list, know what towns you want to go to, but leave everything else to chance especially if you're in an RV and you can pull it into a gravel pit if you have to, you know? So, um, and, and I see a lot more people doing that uh, coming up for, for two, three months and, and taking that time and that experience. But even driving, you know, hundred miles down a highway in Alaska, you're in a t- totally different place with totally different experiences. So um, it's, it's really hard to, I think, appreciate the beauty when you're like, I got to get to the next place at 70 miles an hour. Um, let's just get there because we scheduled a tour at four and we can't be late. You know, you, you, you miss all these opportunities to stop and, and take in the view or see that moose or, uh, you know, stop at that place that says they have the world's best pie, whatever it is. Um, and uh, I think those are some of the things that make Alaska the best. Um, you know, you, you hear stories all the time. Well, I, you know, our rental car got a flat. And somebody pulled over and helped me change it. And like, that would never happen in California, you know? So uh, that's what I always encourage people in Alaska to do. Just slow down and give yourself more time than you think. I think too, a hundred miles in Alaska is not 65, 75 miles an hour. Like it is in a different state in an interstate. Mm -hmm. There's so many two lane roads to get to and from somewhere that people don't Mm -hmm. always take that into account when they're filling out their calendar. And I think why put yourself through that impression, that pressure when you can just come and relax and enjoy, because that's definitely what we have, right? That lack of concrete and those mountains and that air where you can just take a moment and breathe. I mean, even the train doesn't go more than I believe 35 miles an hour. So, (laughs) you know, don't rush things. That's what you came to do was to get away from that. So feel free to embrace that emotion. Yeah. And and also just the practicalities that are different, like, you know, the parks highway, you can pretty much travel at at 65 for most of that, but the Glen highway with all those twists and turns and um, you know, you you do that, you're going to be thrown up out the side of your window. (laughs) So also, you know, I think a lot of times the word highway in Alaska does not mean the same thing (laughs) as highway in California. They're, they're just different beasts. And so even when you think you're familiar with something in Alaska, like, Oh, well, it's a highway, like, that'll be fine. Um, And then you realize, well, it's a very twisty, turny, curvy highway. There's no passing lanes. There's road construction. There's only a gas station every 70 miles. It's just different. So Vanessa, definitely since COVID and I think worldwide for sure, we know that there is a shortage of workers or we hear that often. How do Mm -hmm. you feel that that sort of national piece that we hear or definitely within the United States, how do you think that feeds into Denali? You know, there's, there's a lot of different reasons for that worker shortage um, that, that are so <laughs> wrapped up in each other. And then, you know, a series of other factors, you know, generational changes, boomers retiring, all, all these different things. Um, and so what it kind of did across our country while 
you know, everybody is shut down and why people are retiring and there's this big shuffle is it created a lot of opportunity for people across the board that just wasn't there in the same way. It wasn't as easy to shift jobs because there wasn't as many open, but all of a sudden everything changed. Um, you know, businesses before weren't open to telework. Well, now they are. And so it, it created this big shuffle. So, you know, you might have a subset of people that for 10 years have worked seasonally. They spent a summer in Denali and, and a winter in some ski resort in Colorado. And all of a sudden, maybe they've got an opportunity to, to look at life differently and, and say, hey, I've been doing this for 10 years. I'm a little worn out. It's been great. But yeah, I'm going to go get a, a year round job. Um, and I can do it through, through telecommunications. So I can still go to Denali and I can still go to the ski resort, but I can work on my computer in my living room. And so that definitely has created some challenges, just, just that shuffling in general. And of course, most of that shuffling kind of had an, an upward movement. Um, and let's face it, tourism industry jobs, <laughs> they don't generally pay in that, on that upper level. Um, and so then even what that created was then even locally, right? Locally, those people who reshuffled, well, now that ski position in, in Colorado is available for somebody else, for, for some college kid that maybe was going to come to Denali, but thought, well, heck, I can stay with mom and dad still, and I can, you know, go work at the ski resort. And so there was that internal shuffling that way. And then probably one of the biggest things for the Denali area um, is the J-1 visa program. And I don't know if this is something that's been talked about here on your show before, but um, the J-1 visa program is something that was designed to allow college students from other countries um, to come to uh, anywhere in America that participates in this program and get some work experience, see our country and go home and go back to school. So they're not designed to be permanent work visas um, or, or something that recurs every year. Like once you are done with your school, you know, you, you age out of this program. Um, but with COVID, it, it basically ground that to a halt. And uh, a couple of things about the J1 program, you know, employers have to participate in that. <laughs> That's something an employer chooses to participate in and agrees to kind of accept these people coming from other places and accept some responsibility for them in some ways. Um, and it's also something that these students have to pay for, which a lot of people don't realize, but they do. They, they pay several thousand dollars for the opportunity to come here and work. And, um, and then all those visas, of course, have to be processed somewhere. And so that's locally at, at an embassy or at a consulate. And so with COVID arriving and shutting down those embassies and shutting down international travel, um, and then as everything kind of starts to come back, fees have increased sometimes a couple thousand dollars for these students. Um, the number of visas being issued has dropped. And um, even businesses who are requesting maybe the number they got before COVID aren't receiving that number of approval. Maybe they applied to have 70, 70 workers come over um, and maybe they only got 20. And, you know, that, that program is really important because in our entire borough, um, which is county for anyone listening outside the state of Alaska. Um, you know, we're over 100 high mi highway miles long, and we only have a population of less than 2,000 people. 
Well, just our main employers in the summer are employing probably all said and done about 4,000 people. So this is not a matter of nobody wants to work. This is a matter of if we employed every man, woman, and child from zero to 95, we still can't do it on our own. Um, and then you have this kind of additional factor that you know isn't true across every J1 student that comes here, but a very large percentage of them um, they're, they're great workers with a high ethic who are here to make money. And the vast majority of them take a second or even sometimes a third job. And so what's not seen at the higher levels of this program where these, you know, the visa stuff is happening is that one person who doesn't come to Denali can really affect three businesses. So what it means for this year, um, just like everywhere else, but, but probably with a little extra of a pinch for us, um, is that everybody is, of course, very short-staffed. Um, and the businesses that, that often rely on, on people who are already here saying, yeah, I'd love to take that second job with you are just not getting that. And so I would just say to anybody who's considering coming to Alaska, anywhere in Alaska, because this is a problem statewide, um, you know, when you live in a town with 2,000 people and all of a sudden a cruise ship pulls up and unloads 4,000, um, you know, lines are going to be longer, hours are going to be reduced, some services may not be available in the same way, um, and you can choose to be upset and angry about that, let it ruin your vacation, or you can choose to say, you know what, no big deal, I'm going to sit on your deck and I'm going to enjoy the view of these gorgeous mountains while I wait for my dinner. Um, and so I would just really encourage people to, to recognize that all of the issues that you're feeling as a consumer are felt even more by the employees and by the business owners. Um, and they're not happy either. And so put on a smile and remember that you didn't come here, you know, to get that coffee that you had to stand in line for 20 minutes. You came here to enjoy the sites um, and, and to just look at it in those terms while you visit our state. Excellent advice. Plus, I also think that we get a lot of age range of people that have come. And I think a lot of people that visit during their working stage of life, often say, I wish I had more time. And mm -hmm. I think that retiree, as well as that college student, as well as that J-1 visa, as well as that seasonal worker, we encourage them all to come to Denali because what a better opportunity than to make money while you're seeing yes. everything that this community has to offer. Yeah, and so many of the, the people who actually own and operate businesses now came in just that way. They came up to be a raft guide. They came up to be a pilot. They came up to drive a bus. Um, and then here they are 40 years later, still driving that bus, even though they're retired, but they just want to come back to Alaska for the summer. So yeah, absolutely. If people want to learn about some of the businesses that are part of Discover Denali, how can they find mm -hmm. that information? Uh, DiscoverDenali.org. How about anything about the chamber as well? Um, so chamber is denalichamber.com and we actually have, um, we have a little cross marketing going on. <laughs> so if you go to denalichamber.com right on the first, on the opening homepage, there's a button that says visitor information, discover Denali and, and likewise. So you can kind of, you know, if you come here because of discover Denali and you want to see the area and you decide, Hey, this might be a place I want to live. You can find all that information about relocating and, and what's here year-round on the chamber page. So, um, you know, we even though it's really just me in both roles, we 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 tag team each other in a lot of ways. <laughs> <laughs> Perfect. 
Perfect. Well, especially being a year-round resident, if you uh, were meeting somebody and their first time they're coming to visit the borough or our area in general, if you could give them one piece of advice, just kind of blanketed, not knowing much about them, what would that piece of advice be? Don't only see the national park. Perfect. A lot of, you know, I, 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 a lot of my favorite places I have the scenery and the solitude and the experience that is equal to the park in terms of how it'll just make you feel or, or blow your mind, but it's not within the park. And I think sometimes people narrow their experience because they're so focused on that aspect. Thank you for being my guest today, Vanessa. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks for having me. Denali 360 is a production of Denali 360 LLC. Interviews are edited by Josiah Robinson. Podcast artwork designed by Daniel Karapedian. Theme song written and recorded by Jonathan and Brooke East. Special content and sponsorship recorded by James Rio. I am your host, Nova Cunningham. For more information on Denali Park, Alaska, go to Denali360.com.